assumptions are the bane of good decision, good decision-making and problem solving. Cause it's so often that, and, and we do have to make assumptions, but when they're unchecked assumptions mm. and we don't, we don't recognize the uncertainty in them, that's when we get into trouble. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Helping People Perform. Delighted to be joined today, all the way from Louisville in Kentucky, we have keynote speaker, mind performance and illusion expert, and recovering magician. Uh, welcome to the show today, Steve Hafner. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Oh, great to have you on board. I mean, I've been approached by a few people to guest on the show, and very few prick up the ears and prick up the eyes as much as what I saw your uh, your note there. And, you know, so I've got to know what this is all about and how you help people perform. So love to hear your story. So maybe let's kick off with a bit of your backstory. What got you to where you are today? Sure. Well, you know, when you're one of the biggest decisions you make in your life is when you're deciding, you know, you're high, high school senior, uh, you're ready to go into college, you got to decide what you're going to study. And yep. which means what you're going to, what path you're going to go on for your life. Well, I was always very creative. I loved performing. I loved writing, you know, so I thought I'd go into something creative. So what did I decide to major in computer science, <laughs> <laughs> which actually has, you know, an element of creativity to it, of, of course, but, yep. um, but that was the safe route, you know, that right. there were a lot of computer programming jobs. This was in the early eighties and, uh, you know, get trying to do something in the performing arts, that would have been a more difficult road to follow than, right. you know, mm -hmm. and I liked programming. So that's, that's how I went. I had a 30 year career in it as a programmer, systems analyst, uh, got into management. I was actually a uh, business analyst with a big, uh, healthcare insurance company. And when in 2011, I decided to just quit that career stay it was stable, high paying career and become a magician. <laughs> okay people are like what how could you do that you know and I, and i some eyebrows were raised at the time although although the director of the department i worked in told me because i thought he would laugh at me when i told him what i was doing yeah but he smiled and he said boy he said he wished he had a passion that he could make a living at and so he could get rid out out of the corporate world as well so, <laughs> so that made me feel good so that's that's what i did i took the leap now you know i had enough savings built up that i could make the change and right and uh, work through the transition um and i became a full-time magician i started off doing kids shows uh then i was doing adult shows in which i was uh usually a mentalist which right it, i don't know if you're familiar with that but it's it's a branch of magic when you see somebody do mind reading or predicting what people are going to do those right. kind of things and and Adults tend to react a little bit better to that than to the visual magic. Right. Um, although, you know, adults like that too, but nobody really knows what the mind can do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot there's, I think there's more mystery just inherent if, if it's mentalism. So anyway, long story short, got into doing corporate shows, but what I had discovered was that so many groups, um, companies, associations that have big events, conferences, conventions, not very many of them have entertainment. And right. 
or an entertainment budget. And the ones that do, they usually want a musician or a band or, you know, maybe a comedian. So I think magicians kind of far down on, <laughs> on the list. Yeah. Um, but they all want entertainment. They just can't call it that. And so they get keynote speakers who are entertaining. Right. And uh, so I'm like, you know, this, this I think is a good opportunity for me. So I was doing both for a while. I, you know, put my toe in to the speaking world. I kind of stubbed it at first. My first gig, <laughs> I didn't think went well at all. I stepped back for about a year and then decided to go back into it. And then after, after that started rolling, I stopped doing just entertainment shows so I could focus on the speaking right. side of it. Okay. Um, so, you know, and that's your, the program's all about helping people perform. And that was, that was a big impetus to it. And hmm. nothing's wrong with just entertainment. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> we need entertainment, right? People pay, will pay a lot of work for entertainment. There's value there. Yeah. But I wanted to add something more. I wanted to give something, give people something that, they could take with them to help them, you know, in their life to perform better, right? Um, you know, to su succeed more and, and achieve more of their goals. Uh, so I guess, um, I guess I can keep going on this line. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, when I, when, when I made that, you know, transition into speaking and I was, I, I thought, what did I learn as a magician that I can use to help people? Yeah. And what I discovered so the first thing I discovered is that magic doesn't happen in the hands of the magician. It only happens in the minds of the audience members. Right. That's the only place the magic happens. And so magicians actually learn that it's very easy to fool the human mind and manipulate it. You just have to know where the weak spots are. Right. Um, you know, but those same weak spots that magicians know how to exploit and manipulate to give the impression of magic, they affect us in all of our other thinking and decision-making as well, you know, in our work and in our, our personal lives. So if I could help people discover, uh, understand a little bit more about what their brain is doing, then yeah. they would be able to perform better. You know, if they could take that back and apply that to their work, I call it from aha to ta-da, where <laughs> ahas are new insights. You know, you learn something new, you learn a new perspective, maybe on something you already knew. And, um, and the ta-da part is when you take that and you apply it, incorporate it into your life, into your work, and you improve. That those are the tadas that you get. Wonderful. Um, I, I I love that. And because I've, I've always been a um, a fan of, well, I've always said a any sort of course, any sort of event, anything that is there to improve you, is only a success if it changes your behaviours. Exactly. Anything else is entertaining at best. And yeah. quite, of, quite often nowhere near that level either. <laughs> right, just, uh, just a useless appendage if you don't put it into place. <laughs> Precisely. And there's some amazing stuff in there. And I've, I've been scribbling down notes here because there's so much great stuff I want to delve into a little bit further. Um, one of the bits, right, let's go back to why magic. So what was, was magic always a passion growing up and it, it, you sort of moved through or, or did you actually move from other passions into the magic world? Yeah, well, you know, and when I was about um, nine or 10 years old for my birthday, you know, I had an interest in magic and my dad, we had one local magic shop here in Louisville and my dad took me there and I got some tricks and I was really into it then for a while. But like most kids, I kind of, I guess, grew out of it or right. at least got away from it. Right. Yeah. And then when I had my own kids, I, uh, I stumbled this, it was kind of a fortuitous accident. 
I was in a, at a bookstore and they had a sidewalk sale and there was a book encyclopedia of magic. And I thought, ah, wonder if my kids would like magic as much as I did when I right. was a kid, you know? So I got the book, my kids, yeah, they, they kind of liked it, but I really got into it again. <laughs> and I joined the local magic club and I did charity events and did a few birthday parties for friends and, and, and my kids. And I really liked it. And, you know, and then being in the magic club, I talked to other magicians and kind of got a feel for, well, is there really a market here? Can people mm -hmm. make a living doing magic? And it appeared that they could. Now it would, it was a really difficult decision to make that jump. Right. As you can imagine. Now my, mm -hmm. my wife was supportive, <laughs> um, you know, which you have to get buy-in from your spouse. If you're going to make a big move like this. Yep. And, um, and I, I agonized over it. I mean, I was, I didn't like the job I had at the time. Um, I didn't feel like I was a good fit. I wanted to make this jump into magic, but it was risky. And it was, you know, I had, had that part of my, my lizard brain telling me, you can't do this. This is irresponsible. You know, you need to grow up. You've got a family <laughs> to support. It was in the middle of a recession, you know, right. also. So, but, you know, but I finally got up, got up the courage to do it, uh, you know, and, and was glad I did. And mad, you know, I told you about how, when I was, younger i was into uh creative writing right. and performing i was in the plays and magic you know that uses both you're you're performing and you if you're going to be good you have to write your own material so right. i you know got to incorporate that too and it felt like i was using more of my god-given talents and gifts than i had been. and you know like, like i said i don't i don't regret my computer career or that decision at all yeah you know it was a good good career but i felt it was time to do something different with my other talents. Brilliant. And I think that's a, a lesson that we can all learn in terms of, you know, um, I, I got challenged by this by a great coach of mine um, a good few years ago when I was in New Zealand. It's like, he was asking me what my passions were, you know, what, what do I, what are my values? What are my passions? Where do I want to go? And I've always been passionate about cooking. And mm. what, the great question was, um, so what do you want to do with that? Do you want that to be your career? And I was thinking through it and thought, no, actually, that's my relaxing space. That's how I unwind. So I don't want my career to move into that. Whereas it might be for other people, I'm so passionate about it. I want to make it my career. And if that's something that's driving you, then, you know, there's always opportunities to follow. And uh, one of the other bits, and it sort of ties into this as well, that I wrote down which I, on our previous conversation we had before the recording, I, I just love this, the fact that you caught onto the fact that people want to be entertained, but they didn't have the budget for entertainment. So you, by calling it something else, by calling it a, a keynote speech, by calling it uh, something in the language where your buyer is wanting that value mm -hmm. and, uh, or, or, or has a budget for that thing, then you can sort of tweak how you deliver it. And, and, and uh, exactly. what, what was the aha moment? How did that come about for you in, in that space? Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, so, you know, if you're going to be a, a keynote speaker, generally, you know, there's motivational speakers, which uh, one of my programs kind of, I guess, would fall under that name, but I don't really like that term very much motivational, but they expect from keynote speakers, but, and it, and it depends on the client, you know, mm -hmm. and the, and the event and the type of audience. Sometimes they want, they just want something to energize their group to entertain them, you know, but you have to have some sort of useful content in there so they can call it education. Right. Right. So they can put it in there as, as an education. Um, sometimes their members can actually get um, CEUs, education units. Okay. You know, for, for the different, the different set 
segments that they go to during a conference, the different sessions, I should yeah. say. Uh, so there has to be some content. And, you know, so, and, and even now when I talk to a potential client, I say, are you, do you think you're, are you looking for something that's, you know, more entertaining or real? Do you want more practical takeaways? And I do both, right. but I can, you know, lean more into the entertainment. So, you know, two days ago I had an engagement mm-hmm. and they wanted, it was a luncheon. He said, this is a time they've been at the event for a day and a half and they've taken in all this technical information, you know, about their industry. Yeah. I want them to have something that's going to let them think a little different, have some fun, you know, during the luncheon and, uh, you know, so that it's not just more, more stuff to fill up their brain and overload them, (laughs) you know? So I did have some good, some, some takeaways, but you know, I I did focus more on the entertainment side on that. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a great lesson for anybody as well in that, in the keynote speaking sort of world where, it's the material itself can remain relatively the same, uh, but how you deliver it and the angle that you give it, you know, that's, that's where you're really leaning into the value that your uh, client at the time is, is, is wanting, you know, and, and, and leaning towards. So, uh, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, for, for people out there that are, you know, considering getting into speaking, um, you know, I have people say, Oh, I wish I had a skill like magic that I could put. You do have a skill. It's called your life, your st- your stories yeah storytelling you know because and i incorporate that and i incorporate humor but everybody has um interesting things that have happened in their life that they can um turn into valuable lessons that they can share with other people right. you know and and it's a skill it takes learning and you know so you when you dive, dive into it you're not going to be very good i yeah. wasn't <laughs> you know certainly but um but don't feel like you have to be able to you know play an instrument or do magic or juggle or something to be a, a keynote speaker. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And uh, um, maybe it, it goes back to it and because it's the, the crux of this podcast and you've already touched upon some of this in terms of um, you're helping people perform. So when we talk about who you help and how you help them, what would people sort of naturally get from you? How, how would they engage with you? What does that look and feel like? And, and then how do you help them off the back of that? Mm-hmm. Um, the way the, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you know, think about your mind as, as the engine of a car, you have a goal, either a big life goal or even a smaller goal. And you want to get there. So it's basically, you're trying to get from where you are point a to that destination point B. Mm-hmm. So you need to drive there. Think of your brain as the engine of your vehicle. That's going to get you there. Now, the more you know about your brain, the more, if if a car engine, the more you know about it, the better you can keep it tuned, the better you can make it perform. And the same with the mind. Our mind does so many things under the hood in the subconscious level that we're not aware of. And if we can understand more of what's going on, Hmm. well, we could better mitigate the negative effects and, and therefore perform better. So I'm, I'm kind of what we call industry agnostic. So there's right. not a specific industry that I help, but I help professionals and leaders, anyone that wants to perform better that uses their brain as part of their job, yeah. which is most people. <laughs> Fantastic. You've hit on a wonderful niche there. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, um, and you so- know, and, and your ability, I, I have a program that I started last year on problem solving. Okay. Yeah. Think about problem solving. 
it's essential. If any of the organizations that, you know, the top business publications that do surveys of employers, they all list problem solving as one of the essential skills for 21st century employees. Yep. And yet how many people have actually taken any kind of formal training or mm. course, or even read a book on problem solving? Some yep. have, but not very many, you know, and if it's that much a part of everybody's job, which it is, mm. you know, most people, most professionals, you know, I ask, uh, I'll, I'll ask a group of um, say human resources professionals, how much of your job would you say is problem solving? 99%. You know. <laughs> uh, um, so, so it's a big part of everybody's job. So, you know, I want to help you maybe think about some steps in a strategic problem solving process that you hadn't really thought about before, or you don't incorporate into your problem solving. And the question is to ask at those different steps so that you can get to the, get to the core problem, the root causes, make sure you've got the right information and quality information and, mm. Um, you know, and all the other steps involved in problem solving. So, yeah. you know, hope, hopefully, I, I, I think that's valuable to yeah. people. Oh, know. definitely. I, and I was having this conversation with someone the other day about some of these underlying core competencies that we that we say we need in organizations. Um, and what are we doing to actually support people to not, you know, it doesn't have to be formal training element, but what are we doing to help them identify that that is a thing that they need to be good at? How good are they right now? What can they do to be better? How can we introduce them to new things? And one of the key ones you talked about earlier on as well is decision making. And um, so, I mean, you, you talked about some of the blind spots that, uh, you know, the, the magicians play on and, uh, and play up to there. Is there anything you can uh, sort of share with us there in terms of what are some of those elements that you see in magic that you that you can potentially help people to make better decisions or, or pro problem solve better in that space? Sure. Well, one thing that we do uh, as magicians is we entice the audience's brain to make assumptions, just right. sometimes very subtly. Mm. You know, for example, if I have a deck of cards and I get it out and I said, and I want them to assume it's a normal deck of cards, even though it might be tricked up in some way. Yep. I'll get the deck out. I'll spread it out. I'll show all the cards, shuffle it. But if I, if, if I said, look, I've got a normal deck of cards here. Look how normal it is. It just reeks of normalcy. You know, that raises suspicion, right? Right. So, so I get them to make assumptions. Oh, okay. They, they assume it. Or if I have a spectator on stage and I show them something, everybody says, okay, that must, must be on the up and up, you know, so, and assumptions are the bane of good decision, good decision-making and problem solving. Cause it's so often that, and, and we do have to make assumptions, but when they're unchecked assumptions mm. and we don't, we don't recognize the uncertainty in them, that's when we get into trouble. Right. And, you know, we, our brain loves certainty because, you know, I, I talk about the lizard brain. So the subconscious part of your brain, that its primary goal is keeping you alive. Right. Yeah. Your survival instinct. Um, so it it wants certainty because if the more certain you are, the quicker you can act and react to a situation if you have certainty. Yeah. You know, if you think about um the uncertainty of a squirrel in the middle of the road and you come up and you're driving on it and all of a sudden it takes off one way, up, oh, no, then it takes off the other way and it goes zip, zip, zip. That's uncertainty, and that's kind of 
<laughs> brain doesn't like that because that squirrel's going to get killed. Right. <laughs> it, yeah, it wants it wants certainty. So we take we take a a notion, we think something is true, and our brain then turns it into an assumption that mm. may or may not be true, and that affects us when we're look, assessing information. You know, when you're when you're problem solving, you're like, okay, what information do we need to solve this problem? And you think about, you know, all the different things you would need to know. You look at, okay, here's some things that we do know. Ah, this is where you get into trouble. You have to question everything because some things you think, you know, you might not actually know, <laughs> you know, um, because you're just assuming that you know it. So, so yeah. So assumptions are a fun thing that magicians like to play with, uh, but we have to be careful of <laughs> when we're making decisions and, and, and in the real world. I'm um, I'm laughing to myself in some ways because uh, I've watched a, a few videos of the great Randy. Um, and uh, if you're watching on the video here, you'll see that Steve's wearing glasses. And one of the, I'm looking like, are those actually glasses? Has he got has he got lenses in there? Because that's one of the things he does. He, he will start his speech and halfway through he'll go, you think I'm wearing glasses? There's no lenses in here. You think this is a microphone? It's actually something completely different. But because So what do you of- think? Am I wearing lenses or not? I, I'm going to say, yes, you are wearing lenses. I've been trying. Oh, you. <laughs> I was trying. I'm trying to look for the light. You've, you've got me. Absolutely got me. <laughs> but the, the reason, the reason I do it, it's not actually to trick you. It's because when I'm, you know, when I'm performing, I usually wear glasses um, right. on stage. And so that's my look glasses right. and the hat. Right. And, um, but on a zoom call like this, you get glare. Yep. And I don't, I don't actually need the glasses to see close up. So I'm like, wow. <laughs> Just wear some with no lenses, no glare. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, even I was literally sitting here thinking, I'm looking for the the, the glasses themselves, looking for the glare, and I, I still didn't catch it. So, uh, well, you're the first person to call me out on it so, <laughs> <laughs> to bring it up. So, it's um, so coming back to those lessons, then is mm-hmm. is the lesson or one of the key bits that people can take away from that is is it just the awareness of assumptions? Is that does that something that people can take away and raise their performance Do they well, need awareness yeah recognition and awareness of our kind of our, our cognitive biases mm. is important and that's a step but there are some, th- some things that you can do you know to mitigate their effects and and i'll tell you one of the biggest is getting what i call the multiple angles right. um, multiple perspectives mm. so you know as a magician when you're say you're a stage magician and you're rehearsing what they, what a stage magician will do if they're in a new venue, they will go out to the different corners, the different places in the audience, in the seating to see if the angle is going to be conducive to the trick, because a lot of tricks look great head on, but from the side, you can see what's going on. Right. And so there's certain angles you don't want people to see. Those people, if people sat there and could see, they would have a completely different perspective on the trick than other people, Mm. you know? And uh, I I use an example of a, of a picture that I, I get somebody on stage and I show them the picture and then I show it to the audience and I say to the person on stage, who's the picture of, and they say, it's Albert Einstein. And everybody in the audience laughs because they say, no, it isn't. It's Marilyn Monroe. Right. Well, up close, it's actually a picture with a a fuzzy picture of Marilyn Monroe and some details of Albert Einstein. So if you see it up close, you see the details, you see Einstein. You don't see those details from far away. You see Marilyn Monroe. When you're close to the situation, you know, this is, I guess you could call it a metaphor or or an analogy. When you're close to a situation, 
you can see the details, but you mm-hmm. might not be able to see the big picture. Right. Likewise, if you're in leadership, you might be able to see the big picture, but you're not in the weeds. So you're not seeing how the problem is affecting, you know, people that are at a different level than you are. Right. So you need to get multiple perspectives. You know, as a magician, I don't want people to have multiple perspectives. <laughs> you know, I don't. And that's why, you know, in a magic show, people generally, you know, they can't get in a group and talk. How did he do that? You know, blah, blah, blah. Right. But, um, and, and, and here's what research shows. It shows that, you know, we have all these cognitive biases and mental shortcuts and irrational impulses. It's very difficult for us to see them in ourselves. Right. The research shows that we can more easily see them in somebody else. Hmm. And that means other people can see our blind spots better than we can. Right. So right. you need to make sure you're not going alone because your perspective is so limited just to what you can see there there's a phrase called what you see is all there is right w y i think that was from daniel kahneman and uh, <laughs> the psychologist yeah and um yeah and he says that's that's too that's an assumption too mm. you know that we make subconsciously that you think that what you see that's all the information that there is that is quality information and that's that's what you got well, then, you know, you get another perspective in and they'll say, no, well, no, it's not because here's what I see. Right. So, you know, so that that's, I think, is one of the most valuable things to keep in mind. Yeah. And and really speaks to the value of um, of the value of a team and the value of diversity in that team as well. And diversity of right. thought. Yeah. And, exactly. and just challenging each other's uh, paradigms and, and uh, perspectives on that. So that's oh, that's wonderful. right. And- and, you know, to that point, too, it's important for the organization to have an atmosphere of what they call psychological safety. Yeah. I never liked that term because it sounded kind of woo-woo, kind of, <laughs> oh, psychological safety, yeah. But it it's true. And um, Google did a, a study of their teams and found that the highest performing teams, the number one trait was psychological safety. Right. People are free. They feel comfortable. They're not going to fear reprisal if they bring up issues right you know if they say hey this status quo this process we're doing you know i I talk call it status quo and status quo bias or we want to stay in our comfort zone well somebody can say look i think we can do this better or this Mm. isn't working very well and that they're not going to be labeled a troublemaker or squeaky wheel for bringing things up you know they've got the psychological safety to do that and to also take reasonable risks away from the status quo yeah because you know it's only by doing new things, trying new approaches that we can grow and innovate. Yeah. Right. So, um, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. And so many <laughs> lessons to learn there and, and just the, the conscious awareness of bias and the value of team and all sorts of, uh, importance of psychological safety some great points to take out from from that uh, in its own right. And I'm sure there's loads more as well. Um, but I, I'm also interested in what you do to help yourself perform. So uh, what are the things that you do to keep yourself on top of your game? Sure. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, you know, uh, having an entertainment background helped going into speaking. You know, there's two kinds of speakers. There's ones that start as subject matter experts. Yep. And then they have to learn how to present in an engaging way. And then there's entertainers who already know how to present in an entertaining way, but they have to have content that is relevant, you know, to their audience and useful. Um, so I came from the entertainment background, but boy, did I learn that, you know, I, my first speaking engagement didn't go well. 
Right. I even stepped back for a year because I thought, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But then I, you know, I reassessed what I was doing. I learned I got better. So anyway, I get coaching every year. So right. my, my goal is to get coaching in both presentation and uh, and in business. Right. You know, because I'm running a business and the speaking business, you know, it's got, it has its own quirks compared to other businesses. So, uh, you know, the National Speakers Association, that's the big U.S. speaking association. Uh, yeah. And then we have our local chapters. And I was president of the Kentucky chapter for a while, and I've been in that group forever. So much to learn. So many people with valuable experience that are just so willing to share. Yeah. You know, they want they they want to, you know raise the sea, raise all ships, right? <laughs> you know, because if, if you go out there as a speaker and you do a great job, that makes people think highly of speakers in general, right? <laughs> you do a poor job and that kind of reflects too. Right. Um, that, that, that's true for magicians too. If people see a bad magician, then they think, <laughs> yeah, I don't like magicians. You know? <laughs> so, so I get both business coaching and presentation. Now, you, you know, and you might've talked about this, you know, this is using an example a lot. Tiger mm-hmm. Woods, he gets coaching every year and you think you know even when he was the best the top golfer in the world still Mm. getting coaching you know every year because you can always improve and again this goes back to the whole thing about we have blind spots yeah and i can watch myself and it's really valuable and really difficult to watch yourself on video Mm. hate doing it but it's so valuable because i can pick up so much but even more valuable is having somebody else watch it especially an experienced speaking coach so that they can, you know, help me improve it. Right. So, you know, it's it's important for me to always do that. And it's easy to get into a lull and to get complacent, especially if you're getting successful. Yeah. And think, ah, you know, I'm good. I, I don't have anything else to learn. I know all there is is to learn about speaking and performing. But you can always learn. You know, the environment's always changing. Technology is always changing. Yeah. You know, uh, speakers, a lot of speakers use a lot of different types of technology in their presentations. Yep. Um, and I learned about one just fairly recently that I'm going to incorporate into my next talk about um, how to get uh, referrals from the audience with a QR code. Oh, so, um, so, yeah, you're all, you know, always be connected. And when you're a solopreneur, like I am. Yeah. It can get, it can get lonely. You can feel isolated. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have a support group, and that's you know National Speaker Association, my local chapter. That's those are support groups. You know, it's good to have accountability or uh, mastermind groups as well. So people yeah. that are in a similar situation to you, and you can share victories and failures, and mm-hmm. you know learn from each other. So I, I think yeah. there's some amazing points there around one your blind spots and the coaches and the value that coaches can provide you. Um, you talk about the two different angles there of your, I guess, your delivery, which can, can be different for anybody, but it's the, the technical skill coach. And then you've got the business coach, um, you know, recognizing that a lot of people, myself included and, and others, you know, the, you go into, particularly if you're going into a second career, there are so many things that you don't know. And just right. having somebody who can support you through that is uh, is immensely valuable in, in the network. I've never been not surprised by just how valuable a network can be in terms of their giving nature and, and how much you can share with people and the importance of abundance there. So, And, yeah. and it's motivating too, don't you think, Paul? Mm. Because it keeps you going. Yeah. You know, you have just having an, an, an ear to, to unload on from time to time. Somebody, yeah somebody to listen to and somebody to talk to that 
helps keep you going, especially when things go bad, when you have setbacks, you know, that it's really important to have a, have a support group and people, people you can talk to who know what you're going through. Precisely. Wonderful, wonderful points. We can all, all learn from on that point. So, um, maybe a couple of sort of quicker questions then. Um, if you could help any individual or team or organization with the skill set that you've got, who would you want that to be? I've always thought about how my topics, problem solving, critical thinking, you know, that it would be extremely important for young people like high school students to learn that early, yeah. to learn more about critical thinking um, and, and how to, how to assess information and, you know, and how your mind works. You know, I always think people should take a psychology course, you know, right. Just, you should always be learning and, and, you know, finding out about recent research and what people are learning about what the brain does. But, you know, I, I think high school students would be, I don't know why critical thinking isn't taught as a subject hmm. mandatory for all teenagers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the other side, I was, I was talk, talking to someone about, you know, even if your education system is based on remembering stuff, nobody ever gets taught how to remember stuff. And there are, and there are techniques and things that you can learn as a skill to remember more right. stuff, but we never get taught that even though as flawed as it might be, our educational system, certainly in the UK is based off what can you remember and regurgitate on the day. Um, mm. just teach us how to remember stuff and we'd, be, we'd get better results. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, being able to, uh, to distinguish a good argument from a faulty argument, you know, that's part of critical thinking. That's really, yeah. really important. Um, mm. and, and how to think logically and rationally and all that. So yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to, uh, to, to be able to get in front of some high school students and Brilliant. tell them what I know about Super, the mind. <laughs> superb. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some opportunities out there as well. And so maybe if we flip it on its head and say, if you could learn from, if you could sit down, have a drink, have a meal, have a coffee with somebody so that you could learn from them and help your performance improve, who would you want that to be? Well, I think the first one would probably be Tim Ferriss. Right. Are you familiar with Tim? I, I, I'm aware of Tim Ferriss. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So he's an he's an author, and he has a uh, podcast, the Tim Ferriss Show, that he's mm -hmm. been doing for a long time. He wrote the the Four Hour Work Week actually yep. a long time ago, which he he doesn't like the title of that now. <laughs> but he talks to elite performers in all areas. He talks to athletes and psychologists and you know, business gurus. And he talks to some speakers and he talks to actors and musicians and people who perform at a high level and mm -hmm. learns how do they do it? You know, what, what's important to you and, and how did, you know, how'd you go along this path and what, what do you do to maintain your excellence? You know? Right. And so I think he would be a wealth of information yeah. because he has, you know, he's talked to all of those people and he's learned all those things. Oh. In fact, he has a book, I have it somewhere here called Tools of Titan, right. Tools of Titans, which is a big book that contains some of the best bits from all of his guests that he's had on the show. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, fantastic. Maybe I'll, I'll pop a link in the, uh, in the show notes there so uh, mm -hmm. people can look at that. Um, um, and I think, yeah, that, that's a wonderful, 
wonderful answer because it it leverages the learning of so many other people as well. You know, you've you've got yourself right. a great leverage point. So, um, I mean, Steve, uh, some fascinating stuff um, and so much we can all learn. And I, I'm I'm sure you know I've had a look at some of your reels and, and clips and so much entertainment that goes along with that learning. And I think that's such a critical part. If people wanted to find out more, if people want to uh, to get in touch or maybe find out about what you do, where do they go and how do they contact you? Yeah, well, the main place, the central location is my website. So it's stevehafner.com, and yep. that's S-T-E-V-E-H-A-F-F-N-E-R. And yeah, and you can see, see the information, see the types of keynote programs that I do and see some videos out there as well. Um, and I have a couple of... Um, things you can get for free one is a ebook it's called seven strategies for making great decisions it's just a 25 page pdf it's an easy read Brilliant. and uh, you can just sign up for it and i'll get that to you and i have a, a newsletter called cognizance so it's a weekly email newsletter it you know just takes a few minutes to read and i include links to articles and sites that talk about basically how to perform better you know right. performance all, all of my topics critical thinking yeah. problem solving you know how we how we can do better so it's a it's a fun email uh you know and i always tell people hey if you don't like it just unsubscribe so <laughs> <laughs> oh and brilliant. then you can check you can check me out on linked linkedin as well so right. um, that's that's my main social media uh, platform that i use brilliant so we'll make sure that all of those links as always are in there and um, i'll definitely be signing up to that newsletter and checking out the ebook and i recommend everybody else does as well and uh, i mean it's so much more to learn and, and so much entertainment to be had in the process uh, edutaining you might call it so uh, yeah. yep. uh <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show today and i look forward to maybe speaking with you again at some point in the future thanks so much steve hafner oh absolutely it's been a pleasure paul thank you cheers Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review, and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.